What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I'm Ronan Gain. Joining me, as always, my boy from Boston, Christian Nambu. Thank you all very much for making Coast to Coast your first choice for NBA coverage. Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, and you can also watch every episode in full over on our YouTube channel, along with all the best hot takes. We've got a lot of those, believe us. And you just got to search for Coast to Coast NBA podcasts and everything we do is right there, ready for you. So, Chris, you ready to talk some Sacramento Kings and some San Antonio Spurs? This is the moment I've been waiting for all summer. Let's do it. It's uh, we're, we're still in the height. We're still in the height of the, do- the doldrums of the, of the offseason. Not too much going on, but we're doing our previews of uh, of every team. And we're in we're just beginning in the Western Conference. Let's start with those Sacramento Kings. Let's just lay it all out here with Kings. 16 years without a playoff appearance. 18 years without a playoff series win. They have not won 40 games since 2006. They have one top 10 finish in the past five years, and that was before the play-in, so they still were out of the playoffs then. Last season... They finished 12th with a 30 and 52 record. A lot of people are saying this year is kind of a do or die for them. They have to get into the playoffs. Are, are they going to be able to do it? Well, that's see, you're you're doing that thing again, man. <laughs> Look, it's not fair that we always we always have to preface every conversation with the Kings about how bad it's been for like the past almost 20 years now, and then be like, are they gonna fix it all? Like Maybe. I think maybe we we can say this. I, I think I can say this confidently that this actually might be, sadly, um, if you really think about it objectively, but this might be the one of the best rosters they've put together in almost 15 years, legitimately. Mm-hmm. Let's, then let's take a look at it. You have um, Darren Fox. They acquired Kevin Herter. Now on the, on the wings, you have two versatile forwards in Barnes. And Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray looks good in summer league. He's an older player. You'd think that he's going to be able to contribute right away. That's why they got him. And you have Demont Sabonis. You have a legitimate duo there. You have some depth. And that should be a very solid starting lineup. And then I think even we look at the bench. We'll talk about their bench today. You got Davion Mitchell, Lake Monk. Um, we're a little iffy on the wing there. Maybe Terrence Davis. And then Trey Lyles, Matthew Holmes. They got a solid, solid deep front court there. And I think we can start there and just, you know, evaluate their roster. Have they, I think that they've put together a solid roster. And I think probably one of the best, at least the best that they've had in the past five to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think I a hundred percent agree there. I think I really like the additions that they made and getting, uh, getting Malik Monk and getting Kevin Herter, obviously losing, losing DiVincenzo is a bit of a blow, but you have to think that, Monk and Herder coming in could definitely fill the gap that he that he has left behind. And I think, of course, Keegan Murray, the rookie that they drafted, he was the he was the right pick for them. There was a lot of question marks how the Kings were going to play it when it came to the draft. But he's the type of player. He may never be a superstar, but he's probably the guy who's ready to come in and almost ready at his peak. And he's ready to just be a good, solid player in the NBA. What we see from him this year may be the best that he can ever get to as a player but that's actually exactly what the kings need at this very moment yeah i mean looking at the guys that they put around fox um previously and not having halliburton not having heel that was tough for for the spacing 
with Sabonis. And it was interesting that they thought they were going to have this push into the playoffs. And then you took away like what remained of their three point shooting and it just looked awful. So they did a lot, a lot this off season to address the shooting. I think, you know, you get Malik Monk there, Herder, you already have Barnes, Murray's going to be a good shooter. They really needed that. And I'm really excited, honestly, on the offensive end. And, and maybe we start here. You look at De'Aaron Fox. Um, it seemed pretty clear. You know, a lot of people who follow the team would agree that Fox seemed to have a weird kind of relationship with Tyrese Halbert. And it seemed like his production and his vibe wasn't the best as Halbert was starting to ascend there. And then all of a sudden he's gone and he, he gets right back up on it. He looks like a all-star caliber player. So take that for what you will. But for him having Sabonis there, and then you have Herder, Barnes, and Murray, how they can stretch the floor, how they can play very versatile. And all Herder has to do now is just be a spot-up shooter. And you can make things really simple for Barnes and Murray as Sabonis and Fox should be able to take over. My question is, do you think they could have a top 10 offensive season? Is that possible? Is that in the realm of possibility here? It's it, it's not crazy, but when I think about that, I think about the fact that I need like Darren Fox and Demanda Sabonis are gonna basically have to be the next coming of like Kobe and and, uh, and Pau Gasol, like Kobe and Pau Gasol, and that, like that's that's who I think if they're gonna do that. Fox and Sabonis are gonna have to be that good. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't think so. I, I I think to be a top ten offense. Yeah. No, because I mean, look at no, look at it. Well, because well, I. I don't think that Fox isn't going to have to dramatically change his game because the way that this roster is constructed, you know, he can be a downhill type of player and he can have the ball in his hands most of the time. You don't, you don't need to feed it to Herder. Herder can be an off ball shooter. And, you know, you also have Barnes and Murray. I mean, they're going to be responsible for 15, 18 points a game. And I think that Sabonis is still going to be a 20 and 10 guy. Fox is going to give you 20, 25 I think I think Fox should have a revamped season this year. I mean, they've really bolstered everything around him. The momentum's there. I mean, he he should. I mean, this is this is all honestly, and if we're talking about X factors for each of these teams. I mean, Fox is the X factor. This is all set up for him. So if Fox has the all-star year that we think he can have scoring-wise, and everyone just does their job, and Sabonis is as good as he's been for the past five years, then I think they they definitely have a shot at it. I mean, and it's gonna rely on their bench too, who we'll talk about, but Nobody in the starting lineup has to do anything insanely out of their expectations, except for maybe Fox and maybe Murray. It depends on how high you are in Keegan Murray and how, how much you're assuming he's going to adapt to the NBA game. I, I feel pretty confident that that's going to be pretty apparent early on that he will adapt to that, at least offensively. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's too crazy to think about them being a very solid unit without – Sabonis and Fox being like 30 point per game score, like something insane like that. I think as a unit, they could collectively be really good at how they can play together. Oh no, like don't get me wrong. When I'm saying that, I'm 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 honestly just thinking Fox having having a career year, making it putting it without doubt that he has to be an all-star. Like it's it's kind of weird to think that he hasn't been an all-star in his career yet when he has had some some big years, obviously maybe hasn't fully reached the potential that we, we all thought, but he, he's definitely had all-star caliber years. I'm just thinking this year he comes in, he's averaging like 20, 25 per game and just puts it, puts it beyond doubt. And then Sabonis is, is exactly the type of player you want alongside a guy like Fox because he is a great rebounder. He can take some of the playmaking responsibility 
off of Fox, and he's going to be able to to dominate in the in the post as well. So I think that's that's kind of where I'm looking at. I'm not saying that he has to be a 30 point per game score or anything, anything too uh, too crazy like that. But this is this has got to be the year for for De'Aaron Fox. I mean, last season he averaged uh, about 24, four and six. Good on his two pointer. That's kind of his strength. He shot 53 percent there, but he shot just 31 percent from. Uh, from three, and that was a we saw a drop the off in that despite taking less attempts. And when you see stuff like that for your star player, that's always a little bit worrying. His points per game also dropped despite a similar number of shooting attempts. This is his sixth season. It's kind of time for him to to put up and show out and really show why the Kings have put so much faith in him, why they've gone out of their way now to build what, like you said build the best roster around him that he's had during his time in the in the NBA. So this this is the year that it, it has to change. He has to go and be the lead, the king guy for this team. And at the very least, it, it's got to... Obviously, the playoffs is more important, but I think if that's going to happen, he's going to be an all-star. So I'm like, he's got to be an all-star this year. Yeah, and I think it's, it's not going to come from the... I don't think it's going to come from the shooting. I, I'm not expecting him to become a better shooter this season. I'm not expecting him to, to be, I mean, I'd be happy if he's a 25 point per game scorer. I think where he is right now, if he can get back to being a better facilitator, that, that is the the biggest thing. And I think one, one thing is, you know, he doesn't have anyone to dish it out to. He, did, he didn't have a wealth of shooters and he has two, three great shooters around him right now. And he has a great pick and roll partner. He's hit seven assists twice in his career. His second, his first time was his uh, sophomore season. And he's got that talent to be a point guard. And it's, I mean, I think it's a lot to do with team construct, you know, not him. But I think he's also not been that primary guy that has been the engine to making a better offense. So that for me, that that's a pathway that, you know, I can have faith in. I can have faith that if, if Mike Brown comes in and is installing a system to empower Jaron Fox to be a playmaker first to get his teammates involved. And because that's, that's how everything's going to start going. If he is able to get to the rim, get downhill, if he's able to get Sabonis in his spots and start to put pressure on the rim and pull defenders into the paint with his ability to get there. And then he starts getting his shooters open. I mean, that's, that's going to be a great rhythm for how this team can become a top 10 offense. So I, I think, you know, I look at this talent and it's, it's uh, it's hard to make that argument because you look at all the amazing offenses in the league, but when you look at how it's constructed, Sabonis is an absolute force inside, and Fox is an elite slasher. And you put those two together, and you believe that Fox is going to be a better playmaker the way that he's shown two years in his career. Then I think they they have that potential, and it's about his playmaking. So I'm I'm fine if he has a bad shooting year. I'm fine if if you know he's he's not really scoring more. But I think he can he can start to approach being the elite point guard that he should be, not just a, a flashy downhill point guard. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's good. That's true as well. That's that's that'll be a great sign of maturity and growth in his game. And you think of like in terms of talent level, obviously there is so much talent within the NBA, but the talent level of Fox and Sabonis, they could like it wouldn't be crazy to think of them as a top 10 duo in, in terms of an offensive duo, the two of them together, because they have elite talent. They their skills really will match up well, I think, 
and the the complement of players that they have around them now, I think it really could it really could all come together and and fit very well. Before before we talk about Keegan Murray, the rook coming in, which who do you think is going to be the sixth man for this team? It's basically a toss up between Davion Mitchell, Kevin Herter, and Malik Monk. Who do you think will will that will that switch around? You think, or you think there'll be kind of a set a set guy? I think that, that's an interesting thing. Um, six men, as we traditionally see it, is the guy who comes off the bench and just spark plug score. So it, it's easy for anyone to look at Malik Monk and be like, oh, that's your spark plug. That, that's the guy who's going to come off the bench and, and aggressively try and score. But really, and I, and I think this leads into our bigger conversation, um, you know, not, not to gloss over Murray, but our bigger conversation about defense, because what else is Mike Brown here to so make their defense better? Um, Davion Mitchell his defense is going to be so vital to this team's success because mm-hmm. you, you, you look at this lineup and, and Murray just to talk about him real quick. I mean, as a defender, I think it'll be, it'll be a solid team defender. will be a good help defender. He's definitely a very, he's a very good defensive rebounder. And, and you can say very similar things about, about Barnes, Harrison Barnes. These guys aren't point of attack defenders. Kevin Herter is, has went from being a bad defender to being passable at best. He is not a point of attack defender. And De'Aaron Fox, we haven't seen him do that consistently at all. You don't really have anybody like that. So the importance of Davion Mitchell as a defender, as a point of elite point of attack defender, which is crazy to say for guys only in his what, sophomore year now, that's going to be probably the biggest contribution. So it doesn't matter if Malik Monk is scoring more threes. If you're throwing Davion Mitchell out there because you need to give Fox and Herter some blow if they're facing some of the elite guard talent in this league, that's going to be the thing that makes Davion Mitchell the quote unquote sixth man. And actually the question for me, we talk about lineups too, is looking at defense here, does Davion Mitchell maybe have an argument to be a starter just for his defense alone, depending on how bad their point of attack is? Because Sabonis is no eraser. Like he's, he's not a rim protector by any means and go down the line too. Like Rashawn Holmes, great rebounder, not a rim protector. Metu, and not really a rim protector. Trey Lyles definitely not a rim. They have no rim protectors on this team. And Davion Mitchell, that's the guy you're looking at. Like, hey, you can probably be the most consistent stopper here. So I wonder how, if you're if you're Mike Brown, a guy who loves defense and he's known for his defense and everything's going to be pointed at him. Hey, why isn't the defense working? How are you going to use Davion Mitchell best? I I think Davion Mitchell has to start. I think the, his de- the, the defense that he offers, everything you just said, that is just all reasons why he needs to start in this team. Yeah, maybe he might not have the same offensive output as a Herder or or Malik Monk, but he offers defense like no one else on the team offers. I think if they have a starting five, a consistent starting five of Fox, Devion Mitchell, Murray, Barnes, Sabonis, and then you have Herder as your sixth man, I think Herder could be... A, a really great spark plug for this team. He he like he averaged 12, 3, and 3 last year, shot really well, 53% in his twos, 39% on his threes. Monk is a, a similar sort of scorer as well. So if you have those two guys coming off the bench and you're only really looking at them, they just got to be the spark plugs. That's a better formula for success, I think, for, for the Kings than than having Devion Mitchell coming off the bench, I think. Yeah. And I think the, this uh this relies on two two factors here. One is Damian Mitchell's ability to shoot from three. In his rookie year, 
tried only 32%. Uh, I mean, he wasn't shy about taking, he took four of them a game. Um, and, it, you know, this is by no means, I think, a, a bad measure on his mechanics. Like his mechanics look fine, but then the tough thing is you also lose his free throw rate um, as free throw percentage at 66%. So as a shooter, it's really scary. I mean, you hope that's just like a rookie year thing, um, especially with how janky some of the lineups were. But that is a massive variable in how flexible you can be with these lineups. Like if Davian Mitchell can be an off-ball shooter and be your defender, like you just got your your young Pat Bev right there in a way. Again, I hate these player comparisons, but, you know, that is what it is. Like he can play the off-guard spot, but he could handle a little bit of playmaking, but you can put him next to Fox and you can take him off the bench. And the second thing is uh, Matthew Delvadova, who they signed. Like is he ready to play some NBA, some serious NBA minutes? and to back up that point guard spot um, because Malik Monk is not really a, a playmaker. Uh, Terrence Davis, is he, is he going to be your playmaker? Uh, you have bigs, like I think very solid bigs. Like, that's a pretty solid front court rotation with Lyles, Matthew and Holmes. You got some competition there and not a lot of overlap. I think they have very different skills. So it'd be interesting to see how, you know, who's going to be a playmaker to help make those guys better. Cause that's a pretty important thing. Cause if, if Mitchell can't shoot, honestly, you can't put him next to Fox that defeats the purpose of what this is. So I think going into the season, it's going to be harder and we'll see how bad the defense is. And if you just live with it and that that's on Fox too, does Fox commit defensively? Cause he can't be a sieve on a team with Devonta Sabonis. You just can't. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And I think Sabonis this year, he's got to really show some sort of rim protection, some sort of ability as a help defender that we haven't seen before. Like it's been pretty pathetic. So it's gotta come out of nowhere. It's gotta he's gotta show something. I'm not I'm not saying he's gotta be Miles Turner or like a, an elite defender or anything, but he's gotta show more than he has in his, in the, the years that he, that he's been an all-star. And if he can just add that small little bit, it could be such a difference maker for this team on the whole. But uh what what about the rookie then? Keegan Murray coming in, he he kind of feels like one of the rookies that's really NBA ready. One of the main reasons the Kings took him, 22 years old, 6'8", well-sized. He can, he's going to offer good scoring and good, good team defense. Hopefully he will benefit from the playmaking provided by Fox and Sabonis because he's not really ready to kind of create for himself or create for others really yet. But I think you could see an instant impact from him. And it, it might not be great, but it'll definitely be good from the start with it, with, with Keegan Murray. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, as we're talking about defense, that that's going to be the biggest impact. Yes. Like, can he space the floor as advertised? I think, I think the answer is yes. I mean, you, you saw it plenty in, in summer league um, and, and the defense. Um, he looked a little slow. He looked a little slow in summer league and, you know, you don't want to take too much away from summer league. Um he, he didn't jump off the page defensively like I had hoped. You know, I think the instincts are definitely there. So, I mean, as a help defender, that's going to be huge. That's going to be absolutely huge. Can he be a real impact there? Um, but is a switching, is that as advertised? That's a big question. And hopefully he answers yes to that. Um, and Summer League, that was just whatever. But his, his foot speed and his, his quickness there uh, on switching didn't seem to be at an elite level. But again, these things take time. But if, if his defense can can provide a positive there that that'll allow you know keeping guys like Herder up there um and take a little bit of pressure off his bonus because i mean you're right i don't think 
Sabonis is not going to all of a sudden become a, a rib protector. I know you're not saying that, um, but I think you're right that, that, you know, mentioning Turner, you know, Sabonis hasn't really been in a position like this in a little while where he's had to be the sole rim protector. I mean, he could, you know, he could take a couple of possessions off if you know you got Miles Turner there on the weak side because he's going to clean up whatever just happened. You know, th- this is on him. He's got to be in good position a lot. And that that is asking a lot. I mean, the big ask for Sabonis, you know, to put the spotlight on him is, you know, being a solid positional defender. I mean, look, look at Vooch. I, I, I love to use Vooch because he's a guy everyone says is a bad defender, but he's not. Like he's a he is in solid position. He's not an eraser, but he is solid in the drop. He's okay. You know, he by okay on switches, you know, he's not getting killed every single time, but he survives. I mean, Sabonis just honestly just has to to survive for it to be acceptable. He can't be as bad as he's been recently. Yeah, that's that's the main thing with him. So yeah, just just being survivor. Hopefully, uh, Keegan Murray will will be able to uh, to help out just a little bit with that. But you, I think we're both pretty confident that he's gonna come in and and be be a member of the starting five right off the bat with this Kings team. That's that's interesting, and you know that's gonna come down to uh, Mike Brown. How does training camp look? Who's who's competitive? Because you know it's not it's not you know. A given that it's Murray's spot, you have you have Metu there, and Metu is a motor. You know he's not as skilled as as Murray, but if Metu is out there and he's beating him on every possession in training camp, and he's just showing that he's more physical, he's he's faster, he's getting the ball. Like those are things that, that I think are going to matter, especially to a defensive minded coach. You know, um, and also Barnes. That's this is going to be an interesting thing. You know, Harrison Barnes um, is a great player in this league. How confident am i though that he's gonna play full-time at the three i don't think keegan murray has the speed to play at the three but if i'm saying that then i'm not sure that harrison barnes has the as a quickness to play at the three so it's it's gonna be interesting how how brown uses them defensively because they're again great versatile team defenders um smart defenders but not point of attack guys like what how are you going to use them to their best ability um Again, offensively, I'm not worried about it, but defensively, there, there's going to be some kinks to work out here for sure. Yeah, but that that's exactly why they brought in. Uh, that's exactly why they brought in Mike Brown. It's uh, his job to figure it out. And unfortunately, he's going to have to do it pretty quickly. Their first 15 games, they faced the Warriors three times, the Miami Heat twice, both LA teams, Memphis, Portland, Cleveland, and Brooklyn. So oh they, my god. They, like they they have a tough beginning to the season. They're if they can't figure it out early, they are gonna be right backs against a wall very early on in the season. There, there's gonna be so many welcome to the NBA moments for, for Keegan Murray. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, leave it to the responsible member of this duo to actually look at the the schedule for these teams. Thank you. But that <laughs> that's that's insane. Um yeah, it's gonna be a uh, welcome back party for Mike Brown facing his Warriors. But yeah. I think it's, it's the fact that we can have this conversation, you know, we can, we can look at this team and, you know, have a legitimate conversation. Like maybe they could reach a top 10 bench that, that maybe that takes, because look at this, like Trey Lyles, I think he's a legitimate uh, rotation big. He's a very, he has very good skill set um, in certain situations. Be stretch big. It's a good rebounder. You look at Metu, how active he is. Rashawn Holmes, one of my favorite uh, centers in the league. Um, Davion and Malik Monk, th- those are two guys. You know, they're young. I-, I think Malik Monk still has untapped potential. Davion Mitchell definitely has a ton of untapped potential. 
you know, guys like that, that, you know, fix their shot and work on it in the summer and feel more confident. Maybe they, they have a big jump. I, I think you have potential for their bench to be really good. We already talked ad nauseum about how talented that starting five is. And th- there's options here. There, there are ways that this team can, can switch things around and to try new things. And it is going to be high pressure. You know, there's always going to be that narrative from people like you that mentioned how many years they've been in the playoffs. That's just going to constantly be on their backs. But I think they have their best chance in years to do it because they actually have built talent here that makes sense with each other. There isn't just like a lot of question marks of like, what, why is this person starting next to this guy? Like, or there's not enough shooting. There's not enough space. There's not enough, like there, there are ways that this team can figure it out. And you know, hopefully Mike Brown can redeem himself here at the Kings. Tough yeah, job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely one of the one of the toughest jobs in the NBA. But thankfully, it, it's he's coming into a team where it feels like the tools are are there to work with that we haven't really seen in at least De'Aaron Fox's entire time with the with this franchise. So it, it should be interesting. Kings fans definitely go into the season with a uh, with a bit of hope. But uh, closing out on them, moving over to another team that are. Uh, are kind of a bit a bit all over the place the san antonio spurs in my mind this is the final year of greg popovich he is already the president and he would love for his first act to be as just the president no longer the coach to be drafting victor webanyama and i think the way this roster is made up they may not try to tank but I think that's just the way it's going to go because they are—they uh, have a pretty, pretty weak roster, especially in the extremely talented Western Conference. Yeah, well, it's, it is tough. It, it's a tough league for young teams like this, especially you trade DeMar DeRozan one year, lose Rudy Gay that same year. And then the next year you trade DeJounte Murray, lose both those all-stars, you lose Patty Mills. There, there's no one left on this team that's, that's a veteran. Derek White, yeah, I did, yeah, I forgot Derek White, of course. He, he made himself pretty forgettable uh, after his performance in the playoffs. But you look at this team, and I think this is an exciting year to tank. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because of the players coming in, but you got some question marks on the team. And two of them, um, you know, Kelvin Johnson. Um, Kelvin Johnson just got a new contract, re-upped for four years. Um Devin Vassell shown more growth as a really good two-way player. Um, and, you know, in, in the uh, play-in, he looked like the dominant player out of the two of them. And you have a big, big question mark in the guy that shocked the world when they drafted him, Josh Primo, um, who, of course, we, we're just now getting buff summer pictures, <laughs> which is actually crazy. I mean, you, you saw him drafted uh, a couple years ago, and the, the guy looked like he just graduated high school. I mean, he basically kind of just did, um, literally. <laughs> yeah. But he actually looks like more of an NBA player. Is he a guy that's going to show up? So I think this is a good year to evaluate and look forward to the draft because maybe you have some, maybe you have some uh, core talent here. Maybe not star talent, but core talent, and then you hope you get your star. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the best thing about the the San Antonio Spurs. I think they're going to be a team that aren't going to go out with the intention of losing, I think it's just going to happen because there's going to be growing pains there. There's a lot of, it's going to be a very, a very young roster, but it's going to be one that's, that's really fun to watch. And it's going to be, I think they could end up after this year, if they don't end up 
uh, with the number one pick, if they only have a top three, top uh, top five pick, I think they could end up being pretty happy with that because we're going to see some some good growth from some of their young players. And Kel- Keldon Johnson is the one that I'm really looking at. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him and thinking, could he have that similar sort of jump that we saw from DeJounte Murray? And I, I really think that he can. 23 years old, last season, averaged 17 points, six boards, two assists. Shooting was just really, really impressive. 51% in his twos, 40% on his threes. He had some pretty impressive 30, 30 point games. He he really showed the talent and he shot a volume on the catch and shoot. And he was one of the best uh, for the Spurs in terms of volume, catch and shoot three, uh, catch and shoot threes. And I think it's only going to go up from here. I think we're going to see the ball in his hands more. He's going to have more opportunity to create for himself without DeJounte Murray there. And I think we could see him bumping the, the scoring up to somewhere around 21, 22 points, and he could really emerge as a as a potential star this season. Yeah, he's he's a guy that that's interesting. You know, he he's gone very, very under the radar, you know, because DeJounte Murray was there. And and I guess maybe you just answered my my big question here is, you know, who's gonna take advantage the most of of uh Murray's absence. You saw Murray become an all-star after DeMar DeRozan left. Um, now Murray's going to leave. And do you think that gives, do you think that gives him the opportunity that to, to make that big jump? Like. I think it does. I, I would be surprised if he was an all-star now, like, like Murray was, but. Even an all-star, but, but being. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's being sort of level in, though. Yeah. Yeah. Around the conversation, not even yeah. in the conversation, but being around it, being like, okay, this is a guy that's, that's making his way towards there. Cause. And he has he has a long way to go, especially the Spurs as an organization have a long way to go. Um, be similar so, to what we said about Jaden Green last week. Be similar, similar. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I I was thinking about that, you know, and and then also you know I was thinking about Devin Vassell as well. Um, you know, Devin Vassell is going to have more touches, and he's continued to to progressively get better. Um, but then you know I, I do have the thought that is Murray's absence not going to be just some hole that someone will fill. Does that actually make some of these guys a little worse? Because look look at this roster right now. Who is going to run the offense? That's the question. I mean, mm-hmm. like when it, when it comes to catch and shoot, like who's going to pass it? To, <laughs> who's going to make open looks for, for Keldon Johnson? Who's going to get open looks for, for Devin Vassell? You know, a lot, a lot of this is, of catch and shoot. These aren't guys that are creating a whole lot of, of like step back threes. These aren't dynamic shot creators. Who's going to create that kind of offense for them? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why they, the team as a whole is going to struggle. I think Josh Primo, I think he'll, he'll have flashes this year, but if he gets anything close to, uh, what DeJounte Murray was doing in terms of providing uh, uh, the offense for this team last year, I would be absolutely amazed and shocked and just take my hat off to the Spurs saying you guys are genius, geniuses for drafting this guy. I think he, he's going to show flashes, but he's still only 19 years old. He, he's This is going to be his first year having the ball consistently in his hands and there actually probably be some some level of expectation on his shoulders he will hopefully be able to deal with that in some way, but 
there's going to be a lot of growing pains uh, in terms of who's going to provide the offense for for the, the the league guys like Devin Vassell, like Kelvin Johnson, even the 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 rookie Sochan so as well. Like he's obviously more a defensive uh, defensive player than an offensive player. But yeah, it, there's definitely going to be a lot of growing pains coming off Dejounte Murray from last year. Yeah, and I I think that there, there's a couple ways to answer it, and I think there's enough noise about it that it'll probably be Josh Primo getting some time as a, as a point guard, which is interesting because, you know, he, he's such a blank slate, but it seemed like his skill set was to be a dynamic shot creator. Um, and they again, have this, this problem where you, you brought in um, the, the guys that they've brought in, there's just so much overlap that how do you let a guy embrace a role or embrace a play style and get good at it? when there's a lot of overlap in, you know, what the next guy next to you can do. And Devin Vassell and Kelton Johnson, a lot of overlap there. And when you think of, when you project out what Josh Primo can do, I don't think anyone is clamoring for him to be a, a point guard really is it's to be kind of what you think maybe Kelton Johnson could be as a all-star type player. So where, where do those guys kind of land and Josh Primo emerging as a playmaker all of a sudden I mean, that would be huge, obviously. And I think that's what's exciting about the kid is that we haven't seen enough and you can enjoy or hate this entire season of, of wondering, you know, what he's going to be good at, but you'll never know until you try. Um, but I think, you know, the more realistic thing is that it becomes Trey Jones. I mean, Trey Jones is probably going to end up becoming their starting point guard, I think, just in terms of being a guy that can reliably just run an offense. And you watch him play, and it, it almost feels like a carbon copy of, of Tyus Jones. You, know, you hate to just, like, peg him into that, but it, it feels like that's that's his role. And, I mean, that's something that Greg Popovich also will absolutely need. If, if Josh Primo can't handle an NBA offense, which, you know, we haven't seen any evidence of, then it's going to come down to him. Then where does Josh Primo land in this packing order? He's coming off the bench again. He's just trying to reclaim minutes that he didn't have last year. Um, I think there'll be a lot of opportunity for him this year, but um, I'm wary of the thought of giving a guy the the keys to just run an offense, especially when you got rising players like Vassell and Johnson who probably deserve the ball more. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. It'll be interesting to see how how Greg Popovich tries to play it. I think I think we can all trust in him that he'll uh, he'll do what's best for the team. I think he's earned he's earned that. Uh, at, at this stage, obviously, it's kind of interesting. I think Trey Jones is going to be an interesting one, but you think of even some of the vets that they have in the team as well, with like Richardson, McDermott, Collins showed a few flashes trying to finally getting back after all the injury problems yeah. that he has. If he can take that, uh, if he can get a bit more comfortable shooting from three in that, they could, they, they're still going to have the, the capacity to win games this year. So like it's it's a real interesting situation for this this San Antonio Spurs team. It's it, like you said, they they don't know how to tank. I think that's that's the way that they're going to play it this year. Yeah, the, Zach Collins. I definitely want to mention him because you, you look at reclamation projects. You, you look at Romeo Langford. Never really got a shot in in, in Boston. Um, you know he has the NBA body. He has the size. He has the athleticism, and it looks like he has a shot at times, but just hasn't put it together. Um, and Zach Collins, I mean, Zach Collins is a guy that I've been, I, I've been high on so many years, just like, oh, he'll finally get healthy. And then it just, he's just not, and he can just never put together a healthy season. Um, 
And maybe he's a guy that can reclaim, you know, some of that, that talent. So it's, it's tough for guys who get injured so often early on in the career that I feel like it stunts their growth and it stunts their, their ability to, you know, take advantage of their full potential. But he's a guy that I actually think you, you look at this lineup, who do you think is going to start? I think it's Zach Collins or, or Sohan because Sohan, everyone's excited for, I mean, especially defensively, but um, I'm curious though, if, if Collins as a floor spacer and as a help room defender, I mean, he's a guy who maybe matches up a little bit better with their current core. Yeah, I guess I guess that will maybe play into the hands of who who's the uh, which which of their guards ultimately gets the start in terms of like Trey Jones or Josh Primo. I think if Josh Primo is starting, maybe then they start Sochan because they obviously their more most important thing is having the more reliable defense. Then and you don't you you don't need as much of a floor spacer like Collins because you just don't know that it's going to be utilized that uh, that much. But then if Trey Jones is starting, you know, he could find him. He could also attack the rim himself. And that's where you're going to see the floor spacing that the guy like Collins can provide. So I think that's that that could be where it plays out. The way Sochan, the, they drafted him this year, the way this season is likely going to be for the team, I'd be surprised if he, if he wasn't starting. Yeah. So what's your ideal starting lineup then? Because I think obviously Pirtle is your five. So at the end of the season, if everything goes well and development is fine, I guess you're hoping that Primo showed that he can be a a combo guard. Everyone's a combo guard now. (laughs) (laughs) Devin Vassell is at your two. Kelvin Johnston's at your three. Sohan, your four. And and Pirtle at your five. That's... I mean, it's an it's an interesting lineup, and it, this all just comes down to how much does does Primo show? Mm-hmm. I, I believe in Sohan as a as a defender. Um, I don't think that guy's ever going to shoot. That that's going to be the interesting thing. <laughs> that that's that's something we're, we're going to watch uh, this whole season is how how can Sohan be be an elite player without a jump shot? Because he can be. I mean. Look at Jared Vanderbilt, a guy who has zero jump shot, but is legitimately good rotational player in the NBA. I mean, it was crazy to me in the uh, offseason last year when no one picked him up and and Timberwolves were like, okay, fine, I guess we'll just keep him. And he's just an absolute animal as a, as a rebounder and defender. Um, so no doubt that Sohan on day one is going to be a guy like that. But how is he going to be a lottery level player without a jump shot? And it'll be interesting to see because he's shown a lot of flashes of being a uh, playmaker, especially in the open court. He's ambidextrous and he's he's got a handle. Um, NBA level handle, we'll have to see. But that that could be an interesting wrinkle if if he surprises people with Greg Popovich trusting him to do a little bit of playmaking. Maybe he's the answer that we're looking for. It's it's not going to be Josh Primo being a point guard. Maybe Sohan is is taking up part of the those playmaking responsibilities too. Yeah, I think if he can if he can uh, contribute that that'd be huge for them. One thing you always have to remember it you could make the argument it, it can be sometimes harder to find an elite defensive player compared to an elite offensive player. I know the offensive player is the one that you want. Maybe you just see more of it. You see more shooters these days than you would elite defenders, and I think. That's where he's going to show his value. It's always going to be the defensive end. It's just going to be 
what he can contribute. I'm not saying he, I'm not going to go out and say he has to develop a jump shot, but if he can take a bit of the burden off of the playmaking, he can become a bit of a, a role threat. That'll be, that'll be more than enough. If, if his defense stands up in the NBA. Yeah. And I'll, this, this isn't a great example, but it's, it's an analogous situation. Uh, Matisse Thibault is one of the best wing defenders in the league. Probably top five. Let be maybe that's a fun conversation another day, but he's there. The guy cannot contribute off- offensively. And when you're facing a, a, an elite star like Embiid, it, it hurts him. And Sohan. And unless he has a a skill set, you know, he's he's a big, so maybe he, he can be more of a roller, but then you have you have Pirtle there. So how, how do you figure that out? That's that's something to sort out. Um, or maybe you could put and that's that's something that maybe can solve some of these problems. If if Sohan has has the ability to to do some playmaking, you can put the ball in his hands and, and he can run some actions at the elbow. Um, it's a lot to ask from a rookie who that wasn't really his his thing in college, but uh, wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility for Popovich to try something interesting like that. And you know, that, that's gonna be one of the fun things this year is you don't know, you don't know what Josh Primo is, he's such a blank slate. And Sohan is a blank slate outside of the defense, you know, he's going to bring. And who knows, Devin Vassell, he's shown more growth. You got more growth out of Kelton Johnson. This isn't going to be some like, like terrible year of tanking where you're just waiting for the draft. Like, you know, you're going to get a good pick, but you might see some fun things and promising things along the way. And I think that the wet dream at the, the end of the tunnel here is you get Webb and Yama and a handful of these guys here showed that there are going to be players that Webb and Yama will be playing with when they're competing for their next title. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's absolutely, that's gotta be the hope. Uh, all I'll say, and I think it'd be, it. Uh, I'd still view it probably as a mistake if they are, uh, if they are even, if they were challenging for the play and I never like to encourage a team to be tanking or anything like that, but it would be a blow to this team if they were, any higher than the than the bottom bottom three probably in the Western Conference because they they do still need that star to really you can really believe that is the team is is ready to build around. Yeah, I mean if they're if they're flirting with you know the playoffs again, that means that like like you're right like Kelvin Johnson that guy's an all star like it's like oh he's that guy Devin Vassell is like a second star. And Josh Primo was like, oh, wait, that guy's actually a point guard. Like those things would have to come together in a crazy way. And Sohan is just like this, this dynamite elite defender. Then you have like that, that's that's another alternate scenario. Cause I think there's a lot of Spurs fans out there that are so used to winning. It's like, let, let me just win again. Like I'm sure there's there's people out there that, you know, screw the Web and Yama thing. I don't want to tank, like I want to be back in the playoffs. And if if you have like this, this two-headed monster of Pirtle being this crazy uh rim protector, we is. And Sohan is this elite, switchy, just defends everybody, ruins every guard's day. You're gonna get highlights of him just making Harden's life hell. Like maybe that's maybe that's a scenario that some people hope for too. And that that would also be crazy. But I, I think I'd I'd also be hoping for the uh the lottery ticket. I'd be hoping for uh for Webin Yama. Yeah, that's that that's gotta be the the hope for for Spurs fans. Maybe don't get too excited uh, this year, Spurs fans, but uh I think that's going to do it for for us for uh, for today's episode. Thank you all very much for listening. I am Ronan Game. My thanks to Christian for joining me as always. And thank you all for listening 
And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and follow. We are on all your favorite social channels from Twitter to TikTok. We are everywhere at Coast to Coast NBA. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.